Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. This episode brings together again two of our podcast's most loved guests, Questlove and Carrie Brownstein, this time with the addition of Chef Dominique Kren. This funny and thoughtful talk was recorded live at Urban Outfitters Space 98, located at 98 North 6th Street in Brooklyn, New York. They put on this incredible event to celebrate the release of Questlove's new book. Thanks so much to Urban Outfitters for allowing us to release this as a podcast. Amir Questlove Thompson is best known as drummer and band leader of hip-hop stars The Roots, who are the house band on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. But as he says in this talk, Questlove really has about 42 billion jobs. One of these is being a prolific author, and last month saw the release of his new book, Something to Food About, Exploring Creativity and Innovative Chefs, which he co-wrote with Ben Greenman and features photography by Kyoko Hamada. It presents conversations with 10 inspiring chefs on art, creativity, and, of course, food. The event's host, Carrie Brownstein, sings and plays guitar in Slater Kinney, and alongside Fred Armisen, created and stars in Portlandia. She's also one of the TalkHouse Music Podcast's most regular guests, having previously recorded fantastic episodes with the Black Keys' Patrick Carney, the Walkman's Hamilton Lighthouser, and one with Questlove that is almost instantly referenced at the beginning of this conversation. Dominique Crenn, one of the 10 chefs featured in Something to Food About, is the first female chef in America to earn two Michelin stars. Her dishes come looking like modern art, and Crenn thinks of her food as culinary poetry. Diners at one of her restaurants are even presented a poem in place of a menu. She's committed to using market-fresh, organic, and sustainable foods, and says, Chefs are not the rock stars. Farmers are the rock stars. Well, without further ado, here are two rock stars, and, according to everyone but her, a rock star chef, discussing Madonna, soul food, and how eating on tour gets a lot better once you gain success. Unless you're Eminem. Without further ado, I want to introduce our host for the evening, Carrie Brownstein. Hi, thanks for coming. I didn't know I was uh, going to be introducing Questlove, but I, it is my honor to do so. Uh, he has um, his new book, uh, Something to Food About, is brilliant and interesting and funny and it's if have you guys read it yet nope okay so, um so he he uh there he interviews basically a handful of chefs from all over the country and uh in his questions there is uh, autobiographical information we learn a little bit about his own journey with food and it's it's historical it's uh artistic it's creative and um it's very uh, entertaining. So um, we're going to talk to him about the book, and we're also we also get to talk with um, the amazing chef um, Dominique Crenn, who just won a best female chef, <laughs> um, whatever that means. She's just an amazing chef. <laughs> so welcome, uh, Amir Questlove. How you guys doing? Thank you for uh, waiting. I know these these are late hours, but if you guys know me, you know that I have about 42 billion jobs, so. How's it going? I'm good. Okay. You okay? 
I'm good, yeah. This okay. is like a high thing for a dress, a stool, like this stool. I know, right? I yeah. hate these chairs. No. Uh, Wait, okay, so we just some... saw each other like three minutes ago. I know. So you, you know what you got to tell me, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I didn't meet her, though. Damn. Okay, so when... Were you guys, any of you guys at our last talk for when her book came out? Okay, so you got update. Okay, so basically... Uh, Amir Prom, like he, I said that Madonna was my first concert, and uh, which is true, uh, and, and it was in 1985, so it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amir basic pr- kind of promised me that for Christmas <laughs> um, <laughs> he would gift me the gift of meeting Madonna, and uh, it, which is I I believed you, and it was a it was a real it was like legitimate. I believed me too. I did, yeah. <laughs> And it, it was it was in earnest. So I happened to be in Australia uh, a few months ago, and I found out that Madonna was playing Australia for the first time mm-hmm. in about 20 years. She has literally canceled every tour of Australia, which, as you know, canceling a tour is a, a big deal. I know. It's They always get the short end of the stick. We, yeah. We've done it millions of times to them. Yeah. If you you slowly work your way over, and then and then you stop because it's so you're far. You're like, ah, no. Because here's Australia. Make up something. You fly for 16 hours and you land in the equivalent of San Diego, like culturally. So it's a long way. To, it's a, her words, not mine. Page six. Her words, not mine. It's a long way to go to hang out with San Diegans, but also some of the nicest people in the world. I love it there. When yeah. we finally give in and go, I, I love it. We're saying the same thing. He's saying he's basically canceled on them a lot of times. And I'm saying it's like San Diego. We're saying the same thing. He's just being nicer about it. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> um, anyway, so Madonna was, was playing there. Not only was she playing, but she was doing a club show as a clown. Um, literally? Literally as a clown. She, a stand-up show. Um, she wrote out... Wait, she did comedy? Yeah. What is up with that? Because <laughs> even on our show, we booked her twice as a comedian, uh, and she canceled twice. That's the, fun- that's the funny part. <laughs> but she did stand up on our show as well. Like, the first time yeah. she was on the show, like her... She's kind of into... She's into that now. Anyway, it was... Yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, she rode out on a, on a tricycle and did a little circle, and then she fell over... It was. It was. So this is special for you. It was special. Anyway, wow. I so thank you. I haven't thanked you in person, but thank you. Oh. I saw that, and then I saw the the full um, Rebel Heart tour, which is very sexual. Still, after all these years. After still. all these years, very okay. sexual. Well, I promise. You know, next time I'll I'll really make it happen. It totally happened. I didn't meet her, but I feel like that's okay. Maybe it's cool. I like, think I, it's I, I okay. Think it, I think, you know. It's my rule has always been never meet your idols because they could disappoint you. I feel, oh, but yeah. If this, if if Questlove is your idol, then you will never be disappointed. So, four people at work to see. They're like, they're walk, like, oh, they're like walking my, out. My they're whole like, crew in the back's <laughs> like, damn right, it's disappointing. <laughs> But I agree. I don't. I w- I didn't want to meet her, right? Not that she would disappoint me, but who knows? 
You've met her. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't want to take that risk. Okay. So. Um. Anyway, well, we're here to talk about your new book, though. Yeah, books and stores. So tell me what else happened. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's talk about the book. Do you not want to? It's. It's. I, I just think. You okay. Know, we're here's the things. Here's. I have questions, like really some pedestrian questions about food and touring, because what's so strange, like when I think about the first couple times that you must have toured or that I toured, you just think hell. It's hell, and including the food. So absolutely. I, w when was the change? Like, I mean, you write a little bit about it in the book, but when did you start noticing? Like, I definitely remember like touring through the Midwest and touring with a vegetarian. I was not vegetarian, but if you had a vegetarian anywhere near you in your, I mean, they were just eating salad and fries mm -hmm. um, for weeks. Yeah. And which yeah. is depressing and not healthy, by the way. Also, they're really righteous about it because, like, you're eating shit right now, but. Right. I like, <laughs> um, um, like, so when did you start noticing that so there were places to go to where you were getting the kind of food that actually, like, inspired you and interested so you? So if any of you ever saw. Um, Pulp Fiction, there's a scene where Sam Jackson says, um, as he's eating that, the tasty burger, uh, he says that, you know, his girlfriend's a vegetarian, so basically that makes him a vegetarian by default. And there was a period uh, when all of the roots were vegetarians. Because you were all Minus me. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say because you were all dating vegetarians. No, 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 okay, no, no. They were all, okay. you know, just yeah. my management... Uh, you know, they were like the first like health nuts mm -hmm. I met. Like I never knew what a Whole Foods was. Like this is right when Whole Foods was just really starting to to kick off, and you know, just noticing this lifestyle that wasn't what I was accustomed to. Um, so it was hard to adjust to their world because it wasn't like we we had such a a, a large budget that they could accommodate all the specific yeah. taste in the, in the band. Uh, so I'll say, especially in the beginning, because in the beginning, uh, touring, um, first of all, we, we pulled, pulled a Hendrix. So pulling a Hendrix is literally, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, kind of exiling out of the States and moving to uh, London when when Kurt Cobain passed, mm -hmm. we were also in Geffen. Uh, when Kurt Cobain passed, we had a sneaky suspicion that our label might drop its entire black department that they just started like six months ago um, because Aerosmith just left Geffen, Moneymaker. Guns N' Roses wasn't going to turn in a record anytime soon. They left. And then when uh, Cobain passed, my manager called me panicking. He's like, yo, man, we're, we're part of my friends, we're, we're about to be fucked. I was like, why, what happened? He's like, yo, man, because they're losing all their marquee artists, and I feel like they're just going to drop us all. So we had a we had a two-week plan, which was finish the album. We shot three videos in one day. We mixed it, mastered side three and side four of the record. Um turned everything in and literally took all of our remaining budget money, got a flat in London as a hub, and then got an agent and just said, book us anywhere. Because we felt like 
if we at least got some critical claim for our live show, then the label would be like, okay, well, we'll keep you. So as a result, um, yeah, just seven dudes in a in a three bedroom London flat, living off of uh, bread, um, like French bread, <laughs> uh, tomato sauce, a lot of garlic. We had the worst breath of all time. <laughs> like cheese and amino uh, spray. Like it's that was like our and French fries. Because it's vegetarian, no, all that stuff no you need. Protein, no protein, no meat, yeah. None, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, well, for one, for survival, and two, it's just like, that was our way of life. I mean, promoters would feed us mm-hmm. backstage, but you were kind of at their mercy. Um, things got way better after our, our fourth record. I was like our breakthrough, our platinum album, and then suddenly uh, we noticed rock star writers and... Oh, okay. We can, we can make the promoter pay for all these these items. So, like, I I remember there was one specific date we did, like when Eminem was on his second album. So he was already like gargantuan and 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 large in status. So we're sharing dressing rooms though, and on our side of the dressing room, it's like the most immaculate spread, like mucilix and. <laughs> Special, like, imported raw pecans and, and, you know, like, the special wine delivered from, like, our rider was, like, 92. Everything but, like, the Van Halen brown M&M separated. Like, that's how we were. And directly in the middle of Mason Dixon line, on the other side was Wonder Bread, Miracle Whip, and the ham and cheese pumpernickel, Oscar Mayer. And just looking at it, if you were to ask, okay, who's which which hip hop artist is the multimillionaire and which one's the, the, the struggling artist? And for some, you know, Eminem's writer was just nothing. Bread, meat, miracle whip. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and ours was this elaborate thing. So you know, I mean we just I guess long story short, like I've just always I mean, road life, we were at the mercy of whatever our status was mm-hmm. monetarily. And and then once we really got established, then that's when I started taking notice of gourmet restaurants and whatnot. Before that, when you were growing up, I mean, in your, in your first book, you know, you talk a lot about your parents' influence, your family's influence on on your music. Mm-hmm. But what were some of the formative, like, eating experiences you had as a kid? Like, were your parents good cooks? <laughs> Did you like to cook? Because um, I feel like they're just, like, you know, sometimes my taste, I feel like, similar to music, sometimes it happens early. You know, what you're sort of drawn to, what signifies comfort food. Right. And as much as I can deviate from that because of, you know, just wanting to be experimental or, you right. know, sort of whatever like adventurous mm-hmm. i still default to certain things like do you do you have that that was formed early well my home life because i grew up in a music household where my father and my mother were also touring musicians um yes they both cooked and we had meals home but uh i'll say that we ate out more than anything you know and plus we were always on the road mm-hmm. so I have memories of every Howard Johnson's across America 
and to the point like, tell them it's my birthday so I can get the free ice cream with the sparklers, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, my grandmother, however, very old school. Um, she's one of those like Sunday, whatever your thoughts of like Big Mama's house and on Sunday, the the you know the 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 immaculate uh, uh, Thanksgiving serving. It was Thanksgiving every Sunday, basically, and you know the 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 process was started on Thursdays. They do outlandish stuff like uh, bake a pound cake and then drown it in like brandy or something like that, and three days later, like you're not allowed to touch the cake. You're just watching it sit inside of this this you know this brandy substance or whatever, and they took forever to make this food but it was like a tradition so i'll say all the home cooked ideas were that was my grandmother but my uh my education in different types of restaurants i mean that's that's my parents okay yeah and i feel like i know the answer to this just based on the fact that your parents didn't but do you cook now um I have the ability to cook, but I think those that love me and care for me prefer that I didn't. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I feel the same. I mean, I feel like adding milk to cereal is not cooking, but if it was, I am a great cook, like a really, really good Yeah, I always chef. say that's my best meal, <laughs> yeah. peanut butter Captain Crunch. But, yeah, um, like I can make really good peanut butter and jelly, really good scrambled eggs, and like amazing almond milk in cereal. I, <laughs> I tell, well, I tell this story before... My manager uh, made me go out and hire a, a full-time chef because he was like, if you don't, you, you'll never have a salad in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I know you. <laughs> and he was right. I think when Ardina, you came in and threw away, like, how many boxes? I was, okay, so when I first moved to New York, uh, I keep on forgetting, what was the, what was the hurricane before Sandy, the, the fake one? They're great. No, yeah, I read. Solid, solid. So, but do you remember like the panic, the panic that was in the air when they were like, oh, it's going to be the end. Like it wasn't hardly that for Sandy, but when the year before it was like, stock up on everything. So I basically ran to Dwayne Reed down the block. and then Known just, for their cuisine. <laughs> yeah, there's no shame. There, there's no shame in shopping for food. At Trust me, Dwayne. I've done it at Rite Aid in Portland a lot. Yeah, like yeah. four in the morning, no one bothers you, it's, it's great. So that's what I did. Like one in the morning, just grabbed like 16 cereals because I didn't know what I wanted. Cereal it, never disappoints. It's so, yes, so I, consistent. I love, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a cereal junkie. So when she moved in, she threw away like every last box of cereal that I had. Cereal's on the decline, I've heard. But we could probably single between the two of us, <laughs> keep it in business, I feel like. Um, okay, so now you eat healthy, like, but yeah, okay. I eat like real meals and salads, and she tricks me into consuming vegetables that I normally wouldn't like to eat. Anything on this cover, like this is in my morning juice every every day. Oh, kale. Yeah. Okay. I I, I think kale gets a bad rap. I personally like kale. Just plain. Um, I like it as a snack or oh. as 
Yeah, no, yeah. I, I know that people like it's it's cool to hate kale. No, I mean, is it? I I just I but kale chips is that what you mean? You like it as a chip? I love kale chips. But okay, I'm just. I mean, I do love kale chips, no, no. right? Am I lying, Nardini? Right. She just, makes homemade kale chips too. Like her chips are no, all no, the like chain. I. Yeah, for me, I feel like there's like uh, emphasis on chip for me in the kale chip a little bit. But I do, I like kale. I feel like it's it causes bloat. Like it's very intense. Really? It, yeah, it's like heavy foliage. It's just it, it's it's like a really it's like a scrub brush on your intestines. Well, not for me personally. I've just heard this. I n- never touch it, but. You got you to gotta invest in a uh, poopery or something, just to... Okay. Too much information. <laughs> TM, TMI, is, this is not being recorded, is it? There's like 10 cameras. Of course it is. <laughs> um, one thing that I wanted to, to also discuss is there's my... It's interesting to me how much like foodie culture has sort of become... This this thing that we talk about, like that, mm-hmm. it's it's not surprising that you have a book about food out. It's not surprising that this is something that we Instagram and we post and we um, sort of just is part of the conversation. And one theory I had was that there's, it's one of the only things that is uh, that we can't reproduce. You know, we can reproduce uh, live concerts you know we can watch that on YouTube we can we don't have to go to a movie theater we can watch that at our house um, you know virtual reality can take us to cities to, to art galleries um, but there is something so experiential about eating and do you feel like your enthusiasm um, and fondness for the experience of dining and the the collective nature of dining kind of happen at as things with music, do you feel like there's any relation to that? or? Intrigue? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Back when the term foodie, at least when I first kind of heard it or whatever, I mean, I used to clown it a little bit because I was just like, wait, there's a subculture out there that like just watches food shows on television and nothing else. And mm-hmm. um, What's her name? Uh, Nora Jones mm-hmm. used to... Like her thing was always like, oh, we're gonna run home and watch the Food Network, and I'm just like, you dweebs! Like, <laughs> I I couldn't imagine such a thing, mm-hmm. and now, like, I yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you're right. It is. I realized it was an art, which really led to the creation of the book um, when I saw Jiro Dreams of Sushi, mm-hmm. and that really hit me over the top to the point where I felt like I had to um, schedule an appointment to see him. Yeah, it's like seeing the Pope or getting blessed. Um, that's that's what the experience is. And so it took me seven months to go out and and have this meal prepared for me at 11 in the morning. And um, watching him create the food, and I, I realized that this is an art, and that made me more curious about uh, all the other chefs. Because you know, because practically half the book has been on the Tonight Show over and over and over and over and over again, and um, 
just slowly ob ob observing them all, then I, you know, I saw the the parallels between musicians and and uh, chefs, comedians as well, like the 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 process, the the painstaking process that they go to, and I actually think it's harder for those in the culinary world because at least with musicians, we can have jam sessions in private, work things out without the world seeing it. I mean, in front of, or, or not, but with food, you kind of need other others in you know, their opinion. And the thing is, it kind of has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, cause if you eat one false thing, if, you, if it's one false move, then uh, there's a chance that you might affect that person's view of that for life, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I'd never like, I mean, hypothetically speaking, like uh, like black jelly beans. So, you know, just one one false move, and that can affect someone's life. There's no there's no rehearsal process to perfect it, and you know that's that's where I noticed the difference between artists and and chefs. Yeah, I did think it was interesting with something like Jiro. Where have you guys seen this movie, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? So you know, or like, heard of it at least. Though. Yeah, so. It's on Netflix, by the way. Um, but what's curious to me is, so you know, the, in the film he discusses, and you discuss in your book about the, you know, the massaging of the octopus, and there's so much sort of behind the scenes and process mm -hmm. that for most of us, with you know, a slightly, I mean, some of us have refined palates, some of us just know what we like and don't like. Mm -hmm. But how is that related to music? And I mean, do we need to appreciate? The process to you know like a song or like food you know that to me it it's it's kind of psychological but it actually the experience is not necessarily affected by it or is it like it's it's one hundred percent psychological I mean I'll I'll tell you not not to be morbid with it but I tend to notice that I listen to music more intensely uh, if the person's not here. So as a person that has consumed a lot of prints in his lifetime, um, I'm now revisiting a lot of those records and hearing things more intensely. And this, this always happens. Like I did it with, with Bowie and I did it with Natalie Cole and, and every, you know, Michael Jackson, like all these people that have passed, I tend to, to, to I guess your, your senses are heightened. Uh, and I guess you're, you're, you pay attention more now that you know that maybe the creator isn't around enough to give you new material to work with. But um, I feel that similar to food, I mean, it's, it's, it's a unique one-off experience. Um, he just so happens, Jiro just happens to be kind of good at hitting bullseye with a marksman's accuracy. You know, it could be a mile away, and he'll still, and it'll go right into. Well, if he were to use this Afro pick as a <laughs> as a weapon, um, you know, it's 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 brilliant accuracy. So he's one of the few people that um, doesn't veer off to the left or to the right. I mean, I've tried meals before by different chefs, and sort of couldn't tell. Either or, like you know, the, the, there's a difference between when I had it before and when I had it now. So, yeah, I feel like this is a tangent, but 
similarly to the uh, the kind of the lacking, uh, oh, are we supposed to? Are, are I, I felt that to? presence over there, like oh, bring yeah, that okay, state. all right, let's okay, bring on, let's bring on Dominique then. Please, yeah, uh, Dominique Krim from Rotelier, Krim. How are you? Welcome. Congratulations. I think I'm drunk. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Did you guys hear about her her award, her her recent accolade? Nope. Yes? Okay. Yeah, the James Beard Awards were last night. And uh Fuck no. Wait, time out. No, Tom. no, not the James Beard. Who cares about the James Beard? I know, I was gonna say every it's 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 common for every chef that's involved in the James Beard world to sort of dismiss it or, I mean, I, I can understand, but why do you, why do awards not matter to you? Well, I think I always say um, it's, you know, awards and, and celebrity study and it's, it's what you do with it. It's, it's, it's not, you know, the 15 minutes of you think that, okay, so I got the award, so I'm the shit. It's not that. It's, it's really the platform to become, what do you do with it? Do you want to do it and put it on your wall and look at yourself every day and say, oh, look, this is me? Or do you want to like, okay, so I have a voice. What do you do with this voice? So that's, that's what's important to me. Oftentimes, I shrug off any. I think it's like uh, well, I'm real superstitious when it comes to celebrating or kind of uh, basking in the glow of a success. Like when something really good happens, I will by default kind of shrug it off and not acknowledge it, but. I know that my reasons for doing so is that I'm afraid that I'll get too comfortable. I see a lot of my peers that will say, you know, to this day, they'll say like, you know, 19 years ago, I released a classic record. Like, of course you should know who I am, like that sort of thing. And it's like, if there's one thing I know about, you know, the, the, the audience that listens to the music that the world that I come from, you know, it's, they're quick to forget. Instantly, they quick. They're they're quick to forget. Are you are you concerned with the the fear that you won't push yourself further if you just say like, oh well, I've won one of the highest honors in in food. Well, first of all, I gotta say, fear is prison. So you can't fear anything in your life. Um, I think you have to let people to celebrate you. And in that moment, you get to embrace it. But you have to know also that that moment doesn't define you. There's so much more you can do with it. And um, and I have to tell you a story. So I'm French. I mean, everybody knows, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, my English is not that great. That's great. Um, it's really great. So um, I love France. I love where I come from. And the reason why I left France is because French people were where I was coming from were too much into their own head. And there was the, the time where um, we were probably on top of the fashion industry. We were on top of the 
uh, food industry and and French people think that where they're on top, there is nowhere else to go. I don't believe that. And it was very frustrating for me because it's, it's, it's about evolution. And you have to embrace those moments when someone tells you, wow, your record is amazing. But there is another thing you can do. It's just a part of yourself. So, um, no, I mean, I think everything that's happening right now, it's really, um, it's about humiliation, you know, like, I mean, it's humbled me, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna say, well, yeah, I'm the shit. Well, I am, but. Uh, <laughs> You're the shit, we'll let, we'll let you have that one. But it's also, you know, to appreciate what you have, and it's like, there's so much more you can learn, and it's, it's, it's what excites me, you know. Um, people excite me, and, and, and I wanna learn more about life, and then, you know, today, you know, I'm, I'm meeting you guys, and Probably tomorrow I'm going to create a dish about you. Good night. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we did. It. That's our award. So, okay. Well, you know, I'm often, uh, one of the questions that I'm often asked uh, as, far, as far as the uh, the research that went into the book was, um, the, I guess the uh, the the idea of how minorities, women are represented, how women are represented, how minorities are represented in uh, in this world, and is it just, you know, are we going through another Oscar so white moment in the kitchen? Um, and of course, everyone points out, well, you know, the only chef, uh, the only female chef in your book is, is Dominique Crin. And I, my answer was always, you know, I felt that I needed to represent what the, what's in the market now. Yes, there's slow change happening, but you know, this is a business that Anthony Bourdain told me yesterday that, you know, relies heavily on uh, kind of chefs berating uh, their kitchen, uh, a lot of long hours, uh, a lot of patience worn thin. I want you to explain, and you know, if you can explain to me uh, your, your, your journey to head your 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 own kitchen and, and your own ideas and executing those ideas. Like, I mean, how important is that and how hard was it to maintain that position? Because this doesn't happen. I'm violent. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you would throw a skillet no, no, at no, no, a no, no, sous no. chef? Okay, no, no, not at all. Well, I think, I think you, you, you have to understand the, the structure of, of the history of, of how uh, the kitchen came around. So, uh, Escoffier was the person that created that brigade, and and what he looked at was the way that the army was. You know, it's like okay, you have a lieutenant, you have whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's very male oriented. So that's how the kitchen came around. So for a long, long time, it was um, it was a world of men, and then the women were staying at home, and I think they better cook than men, but um, I think so. Uh, but this is how the society, you know, were. And I think I had to talk, um, we were talking about this earlier. Um, 
it's not about the industry, it's about the society. It's how the society is uh, breeding, you know, men and women on one side, you know? I mean, if you, if, if, you know, if you're pregnant, not you, but uh, your girlfriend. I could be. You know, yeah, I could, I don't know. But like, you know, if, if any woman is pregnant, it's like before the baby is born is they can go to a store and there is pink and there is blue. And they tell you before your baby is born that, well, this is how the girls needs to dress, and this is, and this is, I'm sorry, guys, I think it's BS. I think everything's need to come back to a unity, and it's the society that needs to do that, so. Um, so, the same thing in the kitchen, you know, um, yeah, it's been hard. Um, you know, I felt that at the beginning I had to work my, uh, everybody has to work, can I say my ass off? Yeah, my ass off, you know. But it's 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 about you know. Um, I think people were looking at me as, oh wow, look at that girl. I'm like, oh, do not call me a girl because I'm not a girl. And but I I I, I shut up at first and I just worked very hard. And then um, one day there was this cook that came to me and uh, I remember I was at Stars. And I was working with Jeremiah Tower, and Jeremiah, usually at Star, you know, you you start as a as a commie, and you have to be in the basement, and you have to clean up everything for six months, and you don't see the light of the restaurant, you don't see anything. And then somehow, I didn't start there, I started on the line. And then there's like one of the cooks like, oh yeah, you see, you know, I think the chef likes you, you know, you know, all cute, you know. what? And I'm like, dude, get your mise en place right because it's pretty shitty right now and every day you know they yell at you it's like look at mine you know it's like i'm pretty i'm doing a pretty good job you want me to go downstairs i i can clean up you know 20 bucks of duck in like an hour and how long it takes you five hours and i was just like you have to stand you know you get to stand up but like it's not it's not what i'm about i'm about about conversation and dialogue so What's going on right now for me is, you know, I have a platform. And yes, you know, when you get like an hour, it's like best female chef in the world. Okay, great. Yes, I have boobs and I have a pussy or whatever. Yes, I'm a, you know, I'm a woman. Yes. Someone get her some more wine. This is getting interesting. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's, it's, do I have to take a stand where I'm going to like go and fight against men? No, I just like, okay, this is a platform. So let's, it's opening the conversation. Things need to change. Not just in the industry, movie industry, film industry, the politics, everything. So, you know, come on, guys, we need each other. Let's not go against each other. So do you think that you can effectively run a kitchen without having an iron fist uh, to run it? Because I know that the, the theory is that, you know, uh, when you're heading your, your own kitchen and you have 100 uh uh, workers with you, you have to weed out and search for the strong ones versus the weaker ones and that sort of thing. And so the idea is that, you know, if you can handle the abuse I'm giving you, then you can handle any situation. I know that's the theory, but is that necessarily effective? Like, is that it's sort okay, of corporal yeah. punishment or corporal culinary punishment, is that effective? I don't think so. I think I work in a kitchen where uh, my chef was uh, pretty violent, 
very uh, verbally abusive. I think ver verbal abuse is, um, I think, much more terrible than just physical abuse. And because you kind of, you know, it's... It sticks with you. Yeah, it sticks with you. And I remember I I looked at him one, one time and I said, if I run my kitchen, I will never, never say those words. And the reason is that I understood that psychologically, when you enable someone creativity in a, in a, in a way that um, you can be you can be assertive, mm -hmm. you can tell them what you want, but when you let them be themselves, it helps you as a person to become better also. And the way that I run my kitchen, I there is no yelling, there is no um, there is no throwing pans. Um, there is discipline, and they know where their place are, but it's also, you know, I'm interested in in them to also enable themselves, you know. I want, you know, you can be a chef, and you can think that you're the best in the world, you know, but you're not, because the way you can grow is, you know, be inspired, but also inspire others. And I want to inspire others, but they have to inspire me. So anything that happened in my kitchen, they are bringing me a different DNA, and from that I can create better. So that's the way that. And then we have wine at night, you know, we talk and we make food. And But no, I, I don't believe in violence. Violence is not uh, the answer of anything. And this world is, when I find, when I see violent people, aggressive, anything, you know, oh, my politics is better than yours, my religion is better than yours, like, come on. You know, shut up. It just—it's—it it's, doesn't get you anywhere. It's—it's it's fearing about who you are and don't understand and knowledge. They don't have the knowledge of being better. So I don't know. So I'm just a woman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that's—I um, feel like that's kind of talking about the culture within within the restaurant. And um, yeah. but one thing I was thinking about when I was reading this book, in in terms of. Um, race and class and gender is the role of the restaurant in, in the city at large. And so much of, of restaurant culture and foodie culture as you look around this country is um, the, the neighborhoods that make room for these restaurants are gentrified. And that's how you know, these new restaurants can afford to you know, crop up. Uh, San Francisco you know, is, is constantly, it's a very contentious environment in terms of gentrification, Portland dealing with the same thing, obviously Brooklyn, and how can restaurants, you know, reflect the city when in some ways the, the space they're occupying is, is one of, you know, increased homogeneity or increased gentrification? Well, I, I'm starting to notice, well, not starting to, but um, I'm starting to notice that, you know, a lot of these chefs are also, um, socially and politically conscious about what their position is. I know that often this food is seen as like a high-end 1% uh, only exclusive uh, world, but I mean, you have, uh, you now have, uh, you know, different, different like Daniel Patterson. Uh, Local and Roy Choi in LA. Yeah, yeah. but he's now, um, He's now opened a fast, a healthy fast food uh, establishment uh, that's in the community, in Watts of all places, 
So, I mean, this is like a long time in planning and, and him meeting with community leaders, hiring them, teaching them how to make the food, how to grow their food, healthy food, and affordable. Um, I know that Daniel Hum is, oh God, I hope I'm not spoiler alerting this. Uh, he too <laughs> is doing the same thing. I, I, I don't know if it's in New York or Jersey or, okay, I didn't know if he let that out. I know in our conversations he told me that. So um, yeah, I'm starting to see that now um, there are a lot of chefs that are trying to pay it forward and also, you know, balance it out and use it for good, for better health, um, and to teach people to, to sustain uh, their own business and their own communities and their own life. Like, you know, we just, because, you know, soul food, although it's gourmet now, I mean, that was a survival food. That was the scraps of, of slavery that, you know, we had access to, and then, the new version of soul food in the hood is now just take out affordable, take out Chinese food on, on the corner. So um, I, th I think it's notable. And uh, I, I'm seeing now more more uh, culinary experts delving into that world. Do you feel a certain way about, you know, I know that's hard just maintaining one kitchen, but everyone has this grand vision of expanding. Well, I don't know if you have that vision or, or not. Like, is, is it hard just maintaining your, 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 your one establishment? Or do you have a, a grander end game to have 20 and for I'm not sure about 20, but, um, but you know, I, I think it's, it's um, food is the core of the society. So um, now, as chefs, we are giving the responsibility to just move forward with that. So what that means, um, you know, obviously, I have a fine dining restaurant, you know, it's, um, that was a part of me that I wanted to express. Um, I also created last year um, a, a much more casual place. Uh, to bring the community together also. And um, it was a little bit of political stand um, against uh, industrial uh, farming uh, with protein. So there is no meat in my restaurant. I just, I got really upset about what was going on in the way they, uh, the farming, the, the industrial farming in the United States. So it's, it's all fish and, and vegetable and there is absolutely no corporation that come and deliver the food. It's just like we go to the market or we work with fishmonger and all that. So cook over fire and I was like bringing the community together. Um, also, um, I'm working on a concept. Uh, it's not a concept, it's, a, it's an idea that is very dear to me. It's about um, um, eat your vegetable, because vegetable is good. Um, and it's to create that, um, um, you remember that, that song uh, from the Pretenders, Brass in Pocket? Mm -hmm. So I'm creating this, this veggie in pocket, means, um, you know, it's, maybe people don't see it's important, but it's very important. But it's also, uh, it's being conscious and thoughtful. Um, I just want to let you know, and I don't want to be too political, but I wanted to let you know that uh, there is, um, climate change is serious. 
40% of 50% of the, the, the food production contribute to climate change. So the number one uh, industry in the world is food. Everybody needs to eat, but we need to understand now how to do this better. Otherwise, we're, we're gonna destroy everything. It's not about us right now. It's about the future, it's about your children, it's about what's gonna happen 10 years, 20 years from now. So um, I'm gonna invite each of you to be advocate to this. So tonight when you go eat, make sure that you know where your food comes from, come from. I'm not asking you to be a vegetarian, a vegan, or whatever, but it's about be conscious and understanding and take the responsibility of every time you buy something, you are an advocate to change things, and it's very important to do so. Amazing. I, I can talk all night, but I, I, based on the eyes over there, I think we have to wrap this up. What are your thoughts on peanut butter Captain Crunch? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm allergic to peanuts, dude. Oh! oh. All right, good night. No, right. Thanks, guys. Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to Questlove, Carrie Brownstein, and Chef Dominique Crenn on the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Thanks again to Urban Outfitters and Space 98. This conversation was recorded by Dan Petruzzi. For more episodes of the TalkHouse Music Podcast, including Carrie and Questlove's first talk, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at thetalkhouse.com.